a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The sky is set ablaze in all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM. We are streamed live at nhtalkradio.com, where we're also archived for your binge listening pleasure. And now we're a podcast. We're on Google and Stitcher and iTunes. So for you 21st century computer savvy, mobile savvy kind of folks, you can podcast us to your heart's content. And we're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life with the Birches by calling 224-9111. And I'm joined in studio by Chris Ryan on this spring day, this beautiful day. Don't let it get away. Yeah, the temperature's in the 40s, the... Drips are coming down. We're waiting desperately for a little bit of sunshine. But instead of sunshine, I get Chris Ryan. What a treat. Whoa. Um, is that a compliment? No, uh, yeah, that's sort of a ba- that's a backhanded compliment. Still looking I'm, for it. I'm happy to have Chris Ryan here. So listen, uh, this was quite a week in uh, political sports. I mean, uh, you can't tell the players without a sports card. We now have 21 or 22 different candidates uh, vying for the Democratic nomination, their places are going up, their places are going down. But meanwhile, the drama in Washington uh, is is historic. We have a full-blown constitutional crisis on our hands. You've got an attorney general of the United States who testified before the Senate, who, according to Nancy Pelosi, lied to Congress, who... Um, was taken to task by the special counsel for not accurately reflecting what the special counsel's report was, who was unrepentant in front of the Senate, gave some senatorial candidates for president a chance to strut their questioning chops, not to any great effect, but Meanwhile, we got a constitutional crisis when the attorney general of the United States is out to protect the president and not to protect the Constitution and the people. You've got a constitutional crisis when the president of the United States uh, is saying, I will not allow anybody uh, to testify uh, before the House uh, and the Senate. You've got a constitutional crisis. Donald Trump clearly is going to take the delay, deny route with everything, and things are going to proceed apace. But meanwhile, the uh, question ultimately is, um, you've got co-equal branches of the government where the Congress, as the oversight body, uh, the precedent in the law and in our history seems clear. Uh, If the president tries to hide, if the president tries to delay, if the president refuses to comply, uh, the courts have always upheld uh, Congress and said you Congress wins. So as we march down this road, um, I see how inevitably it may play out. And 
We're in the 18 months before a presidential election. All of this could take a long time. But meanwhile, uh, I think what should not be lost is the gravity of the crisis that this country faces in terms of the, uh, the shakiness of the foundations of our democracy. That's, that, our democracy is at stake here. What do you think? I think that you, know, you make good points, but the question really is what are Democrats in the House going to do about this? And um, they look at the Senate and see that President Trump is not going to be removed under any circumstances. And um, they are going to play, in my view, the politics of this. And the politics of this is going to supersede what their personal feelings and conviction may be on this issue. Uh, I'm sure that uh, almost every Democrat in the U.S. House of Representatives believes that the President of the United States obstructed justice and should be impeached as a result of that. So you would think that um, their duties would be to uh, take what um, they believe in their hearts to be true and to impeach Donald Trump. But they're not going to do that, in my view. What they're going to do is they're going to say, well, the most important thing is removing Donald Trump from office and winning the next presidential election. And if we impeach Donald Trump and it becomes a, a check uh, on him and, in, in essence, you know, censoring, uh, censuring him, um, they are going to uh, say that that is going to create a political downfall, particularly amongst independents, and that it may benefit Donald Trump in some way. And this is how Donald Trump has success, because individuals um, do not have uh, the courage of their convictions very often in politics. Donald Trump, say what you will about him, he is going to do what he is going to do, and he is not going to apologize for it. And that is one of the reasons that he has had success. Politicians weigh the ups and the downs and what's going to work and what isn't going to work. And Donald Trump is going to do what he is going to do. And as a result of that, in my view, he's going to avoid, he's going to avoid impeachment. Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of a contrary view because I think that uh, Democrats are going to move uh, very deliberately here. I think that Nancy Pelosi is very, very smart. I think that the Democrats have set themselves on a one-step-at-a-time path. And as you listen to the talking heads and the various members of the committee committees who come on television to talk about this, uh, I think the marching orders that the caucus have been, have been given are very clear. And I've been in those caucuses. I know how it works. Uh, members come together, a little bit of light lunch is available, and the leadership... Uh, both reports and also uh, uh, leads a discussion. Um, Sometimes there's some debate, but usually it's a discussion. And I, you know, if I was a fly on the wall in the current caucuses, what I'd hear is Nancy Pelosi uh, saying what you've just said and talking about political realities, but also recognizing that uh, things may change. And As the Democrats move deliberately to uh, hear from Robert Mueller himself, as they obtain the full unredacted uh, report, and I think Mueller probably is going to be the critical party here, and the Democrats are now, uh, at least according to news reports, negotiating directly with Robert Mueller and his team about his appearance, because in a very few days, Mueller will no longer be an employee of the government and the Justice Department, and uh, then he'll be free to testify. I think his testimony 
uh, will be uh, perhaps the most important testimony uh, of of any that we will hear. And um, you know the the question Democrats could ask, and if I was there, I'd I'd want to ask goes something like this, um, Attorney Mueller, uh, you decided that you would not approach the obstruction of justice question as a criminal investigation because you uh, were following Department of Justice precedent that said a sitting president can't be indicted. So given that no indictment was possible, you said this is not a criminal investigation, but you did examine whether or not the president committed obstruction of justice. And you said you reached no conclusion but you specifically said you did not exonerate the president and you lengthily discussed the power of Congress to uh, take your report and your conclusions and examine that evidence that you looked at and examine further evidence to exercise its oversight responsibilities. Did you intend for Congress to use your report to investigate the question whether or not the president committed a high crime and misdemeanor for which he could be impeached. Yeah, I would ask that in a, in a similar sense, but uh, basically, do you, did he, does he believe that, um, he, that the president, um, that he, in essence, because of his role within the Justice Department, could not um, you know, indict the president for obstruction of justice, is that how he is, did? How, what role did that play in him reaching the conclusion that he that he did? Was it did he not um, move forward because simply because the office did not have the purview to do that, or did he not move forward based upon the the evidence? Well, wait a second. I think that the, I, you see. I think that's answered in the report. I read the report, and he starts out by saying. Uh, it's Department of Justice the, policy. The, the, that, think, the that, think piece, though. I mean, you think that, I think that, but I think that it's important that Robert Mueller says that on the on the record because right now it's subject to interpretation. So let's let's just go. Let's let, let's hold that aside and hold the formulation of those questions aside. Mueller, assuming that Robert Mueller testifies, and assuming that he tells Congress either directly or clearly enough. It was my intent with this report that the American people and their representatives have this information and use whatever powers they have in order to um, move forward, uh, which is the signal to Congress that it's up to you, because that is the way that presidents are held accountable, because they cannot be indicted for crimes while they are sitting uh, at least um, uh, federally by the Department of Justice, uh, it is up to the Congress to exercise its oversight and determine whether a high crime or misdemeanor within the meaning of the impeachment power has been committed. And as we know, uh, high crime and misdemeanor for impeachment doesn't necessarily mean that it rises to the level of criminal indictment. Um, and if Congress moves along, hears from Robert Mueller, hears from the president's former counsel, McGahn, um, uh, completes its investigation and finds there are sufficient high crimes and misdemeanors, including but not limited to obstruction of justice. A question I have is whether 
And it's easier to ask as a former member of Congress. It's easier to ask not sitting in the catbird seat of a member of Congress who is thinking about reelection. It's easier to ask, doesn't the constitutional obligation, uh, the oath of office that members of Congress take to protect and defend the Constitution, mandate, require, call beyond beyond any political implication, call for Congress to exercise its oversight and move forward on impeachment, having followed all the steps of subpoenas and investigation and testimony from witnesses and collecting what we know they'll collect, doesn't their obligation to protect the Constitution call out for an impeachment process irrespective of the political consequences yes. isn't that yeah i mean that's the uh, that's the whole point of what i was saying before like uh, do you play it from a political perspective and say well you know if we do this impeachment thing what are independents going to think of the presidential election and might they sour on our candidate I, mean, I don't think you can look at things from from that perspective and to be quite honest that is why we're in the stalemate that we're in, in regards to policy because once you start to formulate and and uh, and kvetch and determine what is how is this going to play um, that leads to an action, and I think that that type of playing of politics is going to lead to an action on this particular issue, although it shouldn't. And just for our listeners, Chris Ryan has used a technical term there, kvetch. And, and, <laughs> I don't know where that even came from. And, and I feel like, well, it's because you're talking to me, you know, and, and we've just had Passover. So it's clear that when you're talking to me, the idea of kvetching comes naturally in our discussion. But I want to just let our listeners know that kvetch is not necessarily a, a, a formal legal term. It's not often used in politics. Politics and rather than kvetch about uh, what Chris Ryan has has said in his use of the word, and what, by the way, it is not a two-syllable word kvetch. It's kvetch, and that really is a one-syllable word, which carries the import of kind of a sniveling kind of whining. Um, it's off the record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet. Brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Don't go away. We'll be back to talk with Matt Robeson about what's going on underneath our politics after this. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLA. The FM streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com where you can find us archived for your binge listening pleasure. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, I'm very pleased in this exciting political environment to be joined by my friend Matt Robeson, who writes the blog moreperfectunion.com. And Matt is a commentator on all the deeper 
things that are going on in the political world. Matt digs under the surface of the news and views that are commonly discussed to get at root causes and deeper thoughts. Matt, welcome back to Off the Record. Thanks, Paul. What a great description of exactly what I'm trying to do. I appreciate it. Well, it's true. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's really easy to talk about the headlines, and we'll do a little bit of that later on in the show. But I want to talk about your most recent and really interesting blog post at AmorePerfectUnion.com that, that essentially says to Democrats, let's try hope. Now, you know, I mean, Obama tried hope, and that got him elected. And what on earth makes you think that in the current tribalized political environment, when all Democrats can think about is how are we going to get rid of the guy in the White House, uh, that hope is something that we ought to be focused on as Democrats? So I started with, I'm not the first person to point out, you know, I think the way the Atlantic put it is that cruelty is the point. But, I, you know, I, any way you slice it, I'm not the first person to say, gosh, it really seems like the president tries to provoke on the most incendiary issues possible, right? Immigration, caravans, you know, uh, uh, refiling to get rid of the uh, Affordable Care Act. Um, and, you know, Steve Bannon put it. Um, I think this was famously excerpted by Bob Woodward. Um, he likes to trigger the snowflakes. Um, you know, or if you if you like modern metaphors, you're a fan of the movie Wonder Woman. Trump is Aries. He thrives in conflict and chaos. So I, I'm definitely not the first person to have that thought. But the question is why? And so what I tried to do was sort of walk through the why strategically. And I think there are, you know, I think there are three steps that sort of take you down that road to why Trump wants to be there and therefore what it implies Democrats should do. Hmm. And why? Help me. Help me understand. I mean, why not take Trump Trump on 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 Trump's terms? Why not call him out for for the human he is why not get down in the mud and wrestle with the pig i mean after all what you hear from democrats is we need somebody who'll take on trump we need somebody tough enough with thick enough skin to stand up to those stupid insults and give it back and take him on who's strong enough to take on trump I mean that's that's right. that's what I'm here that's what I'm hearing all over all over the place is you know we need somebody with the experience and the gravitas and the and the toughness to take him Oh on. you're right I mean that's what the St. Anselm's poll in February showed is that a third of Democrats say that their top priority is someone who will take the fight to Trump and you saw it in Joe Biden's announcement video right that that you know he he was immediately saying Trump is fundamentally wrong, and I'm going to take him on. And, and, you know, look, I, I, I understand the temptation, but here, here, here's the road that I kind of went down here. Um, the first step on the road is thinking about how the, how the electorate is shaped right now in terms of support for the, for the parties. So on the Republican side, 
they have an advantage overall among uh, white voters, about 51 to 43 percent. But for non-white voters, there's an overwhelming lean to the Democrats. Uh, African-American voters are 84 to 8. Uh, Hispanic, Latino voters, 63 to 28 percent. Asian voters, 65 percent to 27 percent lean Democratic. And then, of course, there's a, a gender split among women. Uh, preference for Democrats, uh, 56 to 37 percent. Now, those are overwhelming numbers. And so the natural thought you'd get out of that is, well, shoot, shouldn't Democrats be running the table all the time? And the answer is no, and has been no um, for the last 20 years, in part because the demographics that support Republicans are much more likely to show up to vote. And so you have this weird effect. If, if you look at polls, uh, and you see this, you see this confusion happen um, in the run-up to elections. There's a well-known effect among pollsters where if you do a poll of all American adults, Democrats seem to do really well. Then they do a little bit worse in a smaller subset among just the registered voters, and then they do worst of all as you get to the smallest subset, which is the likely voters, the, the, the people who are, are going to show up to vote. So the bottom line is that all things being equal, a broad electorate, more people showing up, tends to be good for Democrats. A narrower electorate is usually better for Republicans. So that's step one. That's step one, is that it's in Republicans' strategic interest to compress the election, uh, compress the vote within, within any given race. Make, make sense? Yeah, but you know what? Here's what I don't understand. I mean, going back to your point about who shows up to vote. So are you telling me that that angry, white, non-college-educated folks out in the hinterlands are more likely to show up than African-Americans and his, the Hispanic community and... LGBTQ and liberals and all the people who really care, you know, caring and sharing about the future of America. Are you telling me that those angry white left behind rural voters are more likely uh, to be motivated by their anger, frustration and anxiety to come out to vote? That is uh, a great question. And there's a dimension that hasn't come into this, which is which is age vote the older you get. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, back in my campaign management days, the first thing that I would think is a death knell for a campaign is when they said, well, we're going we're gonna to engage young people. We're going to bring young people to the process. Because it sounds great, but it almost never happens unless your name is Barack Obama. Um, so yes, I, the, the, the reality is that there are core, fired up, motivated voters at the base on both sides. But by and large, the, the demographics that favor Republicans also happen to be the demographics that tend to show up to vote more reliably, um, which is why you get this kind of pattern we've been in for the last dozen years or so, where in presidential years, Democrats do better. In the midterm elections, when turnout is lower and is more concentrated among the base on both sides, Republicans do better. But it also leads to, to step number two on, on sort of the logic chain here, which is um, 
you know, the, the Republicans and Democrats both get that this is what's going on. And, you know, one of the things that they, that, that the Republicans try and do is decrease turnout among less reliable voters by making campaigns more negative. Now, I'm not blaming Republicans for negative campaigns, right? That, that, that's a plague on both their houses. Um, but if you look at all of the research on what happens uh, in campaign messaging and political messaging, negative charged messages, they fire up your base, but they turn off um, the, the people who are less motivated show up to vote. I, I, it's, there's an analogy. It's kind of like if you're at Thanksgiving and a loud argument breaks out at your Thanksgiving table, there are a few people like your uncle, you know, and, and your cousin really want to get into it because they're super fired up. But most of the rest of the family feels really uncomfortable and they just want to leave the table. That's what happens in elections when you have really charged, negative, um, divisive uh, messaging. Well, you know, I, I mean, I was the beneficiary of exactly that in 2010 when I ran for the U.S. Senate and the campaign was a simply negative fear-based smear campaign. Um, Democrats just didn't come out. Democrats exactly. did not come out. Everybody was so upset about the negative campaigning that it was a pox on both your houses. Oh, all you politicians, we'll just stay home and, you know, we, we're, we're, we're not that happy anyway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so Democrats uh, stay, seem to stay home. Um, do you think that, that a message, a positive, a positive message and a positive approach to the presidential campaign, when, when Democrats are all fired up anyway, can actually inspire uh, Democrats and those uh, independents we need and perhaps even lapsed Republicans who are truly unhappy with Donald Trump? Do you think that a message uh, and a, a positive approach um, that hopey, changey thing, as Sarah Palin famously put it, can actually inspire people to turn out? I would, boy, getting to, to inspiration would be, would be amazing, but I would, I would take, if I were a Democratic strategist sitting next to one of our presidential contenders on the Democratic side right now, I would take um, just not causing damage, <laughs> um, you know, inspiring Democrats, inspiring um, uh, moderate Republicans, um, you know, would be would be great. But simply avoiding getting pulled in to the dynamic that most favors Donald Trump. That's the goal. And, you know, look, if you really want to nerd out for, for Star Wars fans out there, every time you see Donald Trump, um, you know, lay into an issue, you should have the, the reaction, it's a trap. It is a mm. One, a after I posted my piece about this, and this was really the third step in the road toward, you know, what strategy should Democrats follow here, a very uh, much smarter friend of mine, a Democrat, who you and I both know, but I, I probably shouldn't share her name, um, wrote me back and said, the way she would put it is, look, Clutching our pearls every time Trump does something disgusting is not taking the fight to Trump. Taking the fight to Trump means spelling out in plain language another vision of the country that people want. 
I think that's very eloquent by her, probably better said than, than anything I said. Um, and that was really my point here, is that Democrats strategically need to choose the field of battle. They need to not get sucked into the outrage cycle, the, the, the retribution cycle, the outrage of the day. That's exactly where Trump wants to go. It plays into his strategic interest. The more there's fighting, there's that loud argument at the Thanksgiving table on the issues that he wants, the worse it is for Democrats, the better it is for him. So when my friend Steve Cohen of Tennessee, a member of the Judiciary Committee, brings a large plastic chicken to the hearing on bar where bar doesn't show up and then eats fried chicken from buckets of KFC gleefully chewing away that kind of plays into the hands of the Republicans because it's kind of stooping to uh, the level of uh, circus that I think probably favors Republicans and causes dismay and disgust among perhaps people in the center and the right who might otherwise say, well, okay, the Democrats are taking a measured uh, approach to save the democracy, and we're going to go with them. We're going to talk some more about this after this break. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes. I'm talking with Matt Robeson, who is the author of the blog, moreperfectunion.com, talking about democratic strategy for the 2020 elections. And we're brought to you by The Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life of the Birches by calling 224-9111. Don't go away. We'll be back after this. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. We're also a podcast on Google and Stitcher and iTunes. We're talking with Matt Robeson, the author of AmorePerfectUnion.com, a blog that digs deep under the headlines, under all the chatter to see what's really going on in the larger trends in politics. And we're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life of the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, Matt, welcome back to some more of Off the Record. We we uh, we uh, broke off talking about uh, headed towards what kind of strategies Democrats might employ profitably in 2020, how to handle Trump, Trumpism and the Trumpeters, what to do, what not to do. And the last thing I talked about was I brought up my old friend Steve Cohen, who kind of made a circus showing at the judiciary hearing where Barr did not show up by bringing fried chicken and a chicken, um, which may play into the hands of those on the right who say, look, Democrats uh, can't be trusted to take things seriously, and Trump is uh, probably licking his own lips saying, look, they're playing my game. I'm so happy. I've uh, got Steve Cohen just eating out of my bucket of fried chicken, because you argue that Democrats, it sounds like, need to stay with positive messages and hope and a strong, clear vision 
of what America looks like when Democrats are in charge and a Democrat is uh, is in the White House. And um, it's always interesting to see uh, now with 21 or 22 Democratic candidates in the field, uh, how the uh, hopey changey thing and the positive vision for the future is shaking out and whether or not Democrats have gotten the idea of an emotionally resonant message that works or they're stuck on policy agendas. Read my plans. Go to, as Hillary famously said in the debate when her answer to Trump was, go to my website and read my plans. By the way, why doesn't read my plans, look at my policy, uh, count as a positive vision for the future. Is that the kind of message that you envision from Democrats? Look at all our policies. Boy, we're so smart. Yeah, that kind of thing is, is tough. You know, it's, uh, look, I, I, you can probably tell I'm a Democrat because I struggle to say things in a few words. Um, one of uh, the Republicans' vast advantages over the years has been their ability to do so uh, more simply and forcefully uh, than the Democrats. So, yeah, I agree. It doesn't work quite so well to say, go to my website uh, and read my long plan. Um, I, you know, I, 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 there's, a, there's a bit of a joke that people think Democrat comes from a Greek word. It, it, it might come more from, uh, you know, the, the very expressive uh, Native American names that, you know, mean actions. I think, uh, I think Democrats might mean something more like uh, it, it explains policy smugly. Um, that's the way most voters take it. So, uh, no, you got to be a little crisper about it than, uh, than read my plan. I guess, I, I guess you do in terms of formulating an emotionally resonant message, something you and I have talked about a lot, uh, over the years about what, you know, what kind of America, uh, we want to, 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 to be. So, Let's just let me raise the the level or lower the level for a moment of this interesting conversation about Democrats not engaging Trump on Trump's terms, which which I agree. You know, I mean, at some point earlier in the show, I talked about uh, getting down in the mud and wrestling the pig. Um, it it doesn't work. The pig always wins. The pig is much happier in the mud uh, than uh, than anybody who tries to wrestle the pig. And the pig is uh, kind of round and slippery, and you never can get a, a good handle on it. And that that frankly is the brilliance of uh, Donald Trump. He is. Uh, <laughs> that pig who's round and slippery and you can't get a, you, you, you can't get a handle on him at least nobody has been able to so what about the the events of this past week in terms of uh, your thoughts about taking a positive approach um, and a a vision for the country uh, a better vision than than is being offered um, how are the Democrats doing uh, on that score in dealing with the Bar Mueller imbroglio? Well, it's tough, and I mean, look, you know, most important to be clear about this: no one would argue the Democrats should unilaterally disarm, you know, turn the other cheek, um, you know, and, and go all positive all the time. There's a role for, for contrast here. Um, actually, that's essential. Um, but, you know, I think, 
I think in general, exactly as you said, what they have to look to do is find the, the issues and the ground where they're strong. And um, rather than sort of engaging in the back and forth that Trump wants, engage in the back and forth that they want. So as a perfect example to your question about this week, you know, the biggest issue on, on Democrats' minds has been, you know, shouldn't we impeach the president at this point? And I would argue no, um, because, you know, this fight is exactly what Donald Trump wants. It's exactly the back and forth that um, benefits him, and, and which really, you know, is ultimately about, do you like Donald Trump? Do you think he's the villain in this story? And most Americans have fundamentally made up their mind on that point. Um, what I think is a little bit more interesting, the ground that I'm, I'm more comfortable having Democrats fight on is, you know, one of the things that, that came out of the Mueller report, um, if you read down into the details, is it is clear, it is proven that our country was attacked by foreign military units, Russian military units, 26165 and 74455 to be exact. And our president and members of his campaign invited and welcomed those attacks, even if they didn't arrange them, even if they didn't conspire. And by the way, that's analysis from Justin Levitt at uh, Loyola uh, Law School, not from me, his words. And so I, you know, I have no problem taking on the president with a vision that says, you know, we have a president who invites attack by foreign military powers. And we have a vision for how to strengthen and protect our country. That's a contrast, and that's a, that's a debate I'd like to have, rather, if I'm a Democratic strategist, rather than the, you know, no collusion, no obstruction fight, which, uh, you know, I, I think is, um, is exactly down the road that most benefits Donald Trump. Yeah, I, look, you know, I mean, one of the things that over the years you and I have talked about is uh, how Democrats are perceived by the public in terms of our national security. And the old saw has been that the Republicans are the tough guys and they've always been the, the, the you know, the cowboys uh, who are seen as ready to uh, ready to protect the nation. Democrats have been painted for years and years as weak. And here we have a totally topsy-turvy, mind-twisting situation in which the Russians clearly are adversaries, clearly uh, out uh, to do harm to the United States, attacked us, as you point out, with military units uh, on the new battleground of cyber warfare. It's a new kind of warfare. But it's definitely warfare. And in fact, uh, there are an awful lot of resources being devoted by militaries around the world uh, on the uh, information, uh, on the information battlefield. And that's where we are now uh, battling. We were attacked. It is as clear as day. And we have a president who, together with his cronies, Uh, did everything he could to take advantage of those attacks against America for his own personal gain, uh, corrupting the electoral process in 
uh, as he went along. I mean, we had a corrupted uh, process in which um, millions and millions and millions and millions of Americans were exposed to uh, false interference um, ginned up by uh, this concerted multi-year Russian effort to uh, essentially invade our cyberspace and invade our brains, um, which they did very successfully. And now you've got a president who coddles Putin, who creates foreign policy um, favorable to Putin, who refuses to believe um, or, or support the results of his own intelligence agencies. And while he may not have conspired at the beginning of this, uh, and while he claims no collusion, um, what you've got is his willingness to take full advantage of that interference uh, by the Russians. And his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, says, what's wrong with getting information from the Russians? It's like um, William Barr saying, well, what's what's wrong with uh, telling your White House people to lie to Congress? I mean, it is a lawless, rogue administration. And it could be the opportunity for Democrats to reassert uh, strength uh, and patriotism about national uh, security. What's really interesting to me is I do not hear on the campaign trail, I don't. I hear the candidates staying pretty far away from these kinds of issues. People are people are focused on pocketbooks. People are focused on, you know. I mean, and and the old saw is that it is financial matters and the pocketbooks of voters that matter most. But but we've got a, our democracy is under assault. Our institutions have been attacked. The nation has been attacked, and we've got this rogue in the White House who not only doesn't care, but who is uh, was was clearly uh, uh, doing everything he could to uh, to to basically look either look the other way or take advantage of it. And that seems to give an opening for Democrats uh, that I don't see anybody taking advantage of yet. Well, that's right. That's right. And I, you know, I would just I think you put that very eloquently, and I think that. One should contrast. You know, there, there, there's some good uh, advice out there that it, it, in life one has to separate between that which makes us feel better and that which accomplishes something. So, I, you know, I, I, I just think it's worthwhile contrasting kind of the what you just laid out, which is, look, we have a president who's not protecting our country from attack. Here's how we would do that. Versus the road that we go down with impeachment, which if you play it out, you know, you have this partisan, you know, explosion fest with about 200 million tweets from Donald Trump uh, in the House. Uh, and then um, the Senate does not vote to convict. And the, uh, the electorate is once again back behind uh, the trenches of the partisan battle line. And we have the outcome that most plays into the strategic best interests of Donald Trump. You contrast that with with the approach you laid out of um, let's, let's get to the core of what the issue is here and what's the different approach that Democrats would take. Again, I'm not saying that we need to be weak about this and that we need to be all positive. What I'm saying is that, you know, my friends, you said, the, the contrast here, standing up to Trump here, is let's lay out a vision for where we want to take the country, where, how we want to protect the country that's different. 
and that, that doesn't play into the tweet-worthy uh, kind of fight that Donald Trump wants to strategically get into. That's all. We've been talking with Matt Robeson here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Matt is the author of AmorePerfectUnion.com, a really terrific blog that digs deep into what's underneath in politics. He gets beyond the headlines to uh, talk to us about some of the deeper and more Uh, important trends that are going on. We're brought to you by The Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life at The Birches by calling 224-9111. And we'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next week.